Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. So if you have a Bible, um, could you turn back to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. Today we are coming to um, the fifth principle in uh, our series, uh, Navigating the Pandemic Within, which is an honest look at emotional health. And um, based on the book, The Emotionally Healthy Church by Pete Scazzaro. And we made the point a couple of weeks ago that in a sense, principle three, which is um, living uh, ongoingly with uh, brokenness and vulnerability in a way is like the centerpiece of the whole of the body of this material. But there's implications of living in that place rather than living in pride and defensiveness. It kind of means a few things. And that's what we're looking at these last few weeks. Last week, the first implication we looked at was that we have to be honest about our limits. Um, and I made the point that that not only are limits very biblical, um, they can actually lead to contentment and also a peace that limits can be our friends. Um, but today, as we come to this fifth principle, which is embracing grieving and loss or lamenting, um, I think we also have to come to the terms with the reality that living in brokenness and vulnerability and being honest about our limits is a painful thing. That there is um, a, a, good, uh, a good pain, as it were, that God has for us this side of eternity. Um, the older you get, I think the more that you cannot really deny this. Um, but my big idea today really is that rather than fighting this, which is our natural tendency, that there is actually an invitation from Jesus um, to kind of embrace grieving and loss, to embrace a certain level of lament in our lives, not just as an occasional visitor or even a place we just go to, sometimes but in a sense to kind of realize that to be a christ follower actually means we follow the man of sorrows um, and we become a little like the man of sorrows and although that's a bit scary as we'll look at it's actually a little bit like the limits thing it's a surprising ingredient that can lead to incredible incredible fruit of a different kind in fact, it's interesting in verse uh, 4 of chapter 5 that you have opened before you, it's fascinating that um, the second thing that Jesus said in this greatest sermon that he ever said, the first thing we looked at two weeks ago was, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are not rich in spirit, in pride, but they know their need. We looked at that. The very next thing he says is, blessed are those who mourn. 
Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's an extraordinary second blessing. We've been singing about blessing and we think of blessing as in health, wealth and prosperity. And actually God does love to give us good things that are obviously good. But Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. That's such an interesting, intriguing um, thing to say as he opens up his ministry. There's a certain kind of blessedness that you have when you mourn the sin in your own life the limits, the pain, the difficulties in your own life and in the world around us. And I want to humbly say, when we look at what is happening in this, in this country, in America, when we look at how protests are now all across the UK, there is something in the heart of everyone. When we think about the pain of racism, that is rightly, rightly lamenting rightly angry, rightly saying, this is not okay. We must be able to do better than this, O world. There's a cry that is all across this world that is totally biblical. Blessed are you when you mourn. And it's such a strange thing for most of us. So many of us have believed the lie that actually, you know, life, if you can just be happy, blessed are those who are happy. <laughs> that, that would be our, our beatitudes. Blessed are you when you're chipper as we'd say in England, when everything's good, you know, Mary Poppins, you know, it's just, it's just not true. And I want to just say that Jesus says, no, no, no. There's two reasons we see in scripture why Jesus said this, why embracing grieving and loss is so emotionally healthy and inevitable when you embrace your limits and you live in brokenness and vulnerability. The first reason is, it's just that honestly, grieving and loss are just so important biblically. So if you're taking notes, the first point is just this, grieving and loss or lamenting are so important biblically. And then my second point is just going to be that grieving and loss make us soulful people. I want to zoom in on that one big uh, aim of God, why it's so important is because it does something to us. It's designed to change us that nothing else can do. So first of all, then, uh, grieving and loss is just really important. I mean, to state the obvious, grieving and loss and pain in one form or another is here to stay. It, they're, they're here. Um, th this side of Jesus returning, I know this is really basic, but you know, in one form or another, pain and loss and disappointment is here to stay. And the Bible lovingly calls us to pay attention to it in our lives. If Jesus was physically with you in your room now, in your little Zoom room, part of what it is to know this Jesus is he actually calls us to pay attention to the pain and the loss and the grief we tend to do two things rather than pay attention. We tend to either stuff it or it defines us and we scream about it. There you go, a little bit of alliteration. We either stuff it or we scream about it. I wonder which one of those you are most prone to. But we tend to do that. But actually, the Bible sort of portrait, if you think of an artistic terms, of what a Christian, a Christ follower is like um 
it's it's i would say uh beyond all argument that part of it should be rather than stuffing or screaming there should be a part of this this is that is in in your life you know for example half of the book of psalms is lament <laughs> the book of psalms is the most popular book of the bible often people would say and half of that is full on lament it says things like tears have been my food and my drink i'm crying so much it's like i'm literally eating my tears and the cry of where are you god is throughout the book of psalms david who is a man of tremendous joy he orders israel to lament he orders them he doesn't ask he orders them to lament when a really um honestly broken man called saul had been king and been, had not been do doing well when he finally died and david became king he didn't do what i would do which is like thank goodness that nightmare's gone let's party david was such a man in tune with god's heart he actually still said this man had dignity he was made in the image of god he was he was broken and sinful but we must lament him isn't that interesting david doesn't say we only lament people who are worthy because otherwise we would never lament saul was really not worthy of lament in many eyes and what is so profound and i really pray that this particular next point if it hasn't hit you hits you the reason the, the bible is tells us to lament is because our god is a god who is in pain even now it says in genesis 6 chapter 6 right at the beginning of the bible um it says these words about G about about god uh, when he looked on the earth it said uh in verse 5 the lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become look at these words and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time and the lord was grieved that he he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain it says in Isaiah 53 that when this Messiah would finally come, he would be a man of sorrows, not a man of smiles, not a man of strategic plans and just uplifting speeches that rouse our spirits. He would be a man of sorrows because he was a man of sorrows from Genesis 6. That God is a God who 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 carries sorrow i mean when jesus was on the earth and his friend lazarus died he didn't like he didn't rush to the good news of the resurrection he he entered the pain of the moment he would have i'm sure known he was going to raise him but he he wept at the pain he wept over jerusalem and the cross was of tremendous deep sorrow now I, I do want to say right from the beginning that I know that we, when we think about this, what I'm not saying is that we just become melancholic, you know, and everything is negative. I'm not saying that. Perhaps that most helpful verse on this I find in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, where Paul says, I'm sorrowful, yet rejoicing. 
I, lo- I love that. I mean, it sounds like a paradox, doesn't it? How can you be sorrowful, but yet rejoicing? And, and I think that's what, is, what, what, what God is getting at, that, that there is, a, a, there is a, a time, Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything. And that includes times of deep sorrow and lament. And my gosh, um, should we be lamenting now? You know, there's a whole book of the Bible called Lamentations. And in fact, one of the scariest states you could ever get in as a person is when your heart is hard. You know, the Bible says that hardness of heart is a very, very clear indicator of your sin, of your sin. And when you're numb and you don't really feel much, the world might say, oh, that's good. You know, a British stiff upper lip or you're being a tough cowboy, you know, however you want to put it. And, and, and it, I'm not saying that we should just be all over the place, but I am saying that the tender heart that God has over each and every injustice and moment of evil is really real. That is our God. And we, we need to understand that. We tend to medicate, um, I think, pain. I think it's interesting the world in which we news. Have you, have you ever no, noticed that we tend to like news, like awful news is reported? It's not lamented. Occasionally there's a sense of lament, but most of the time we use fr- phrasing like there's news to be reported. Because as humans, we, we do tend to get desensitized. We live in a culture that can trivialize loss. And it's even like everything's disposable, right? And we think that that's a good thing. But there's something deep in our soul that is like, is that actually true? Is that how we're designed that things should be, you know, from disposable, this, disposable, that? Is that true? Or is there a sense that there is there's something of, of a loss and a depth and a grief that we should be feeling that we've lost a bit? I think there's a few reasons why we don't enter into lament. I think, first of all, the, the first is shame. You see, even the five stages of grief, which is denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then acceptance, at least two of those are obvious emotions connected with shame, anger and depression. You might be really angry, you might be depressed, and you might feel unconsciously that you need to suppress that when actually it's because you are learning to grieve in a way maybe you've never grieved. Um, without going into details, in some ways, I feel like this is part of my journey right now. But I can feel shame, sometimes wrong shame, over emotions that the world says you shouldn't feel. I love it that our kids were learning about Nehemiah this morning. And the anger he felt, the righteous anger, when Israel was in ruins. And that was God's gift to him, to feel that. I loved it when our dear brother Travis from Radiant, he, he, at a men's camp, he just thundered out one moment. He just said, oh, for men who would be righteously angry about the right things, rather than passive and just floppy and like zombies. Oh, for men who are righteously angry about right things, and he's so right. But we often feel shame about emotions sometimes that are associated with lament, 
or we honestly it, it slows us down doesn't it and we want to be efficient sometimes we don't lament because honestly some of those um that pain can be self-imposed and so we think i haven't got permission to lament it was my fault tom I don't know if the Bible is quite as dismissive as that, but we tend to be like that with ourselves. Or honestly, sometimes it's just scary. There's a loss of control we can feel when we start to really like face up to the pain. But I think, it, I think at some point in your life, you have to grow up. We have to grow up. And we go from boyhood to manhood, from being, you know, girls to women, and recognize that there is loss everywhere you know there's obvious loss there's death there's uh divorce there's depression there's racism you know right now the truth is is that liquor stores are booming there's been more suicides in the last three months than uh in many months there's domestic violence on the rise that's horrible you know, yes, there's benefits to COVID and yes, there's really awful stuff happening and we shouldn't just be like, I can't cope with it. Thank God, God doesn't just say, I can't cope with it. He actually sits in it. And um, there's obvious loss around us, but there's also very subtle loss. And this is really interesting. James 1 says, um, talks about trials of many kinds. I wonder if we are as aware as God would want us to be about the losses that are more subtle, that we, we can not even be conscious of until we start to slow down and go, wait a minute, you know, you may have lost your financial security or the dream you had of, well, once this, my course is over and then I'm going to do this and now there's a, there's a certain loss because it feels so much more uncertain. Sometimes there's a loss when friendships change and you've done your best to try and make them work and they've just broken and you don't know why. That's a loss. There can be a loss as friends move away. You know, even honestly getting older has got so many great things to it, but also there can be a loss of your physical mobility or you know the things you used to be able to do and it sounds comical but actually it can be very painful as you get older just the loss of realizing oh i'm never going to get married i didn't quite realize that that was going to be part of my story and as it dawns on some of us unless we really allow it to be something we consider we can just stuff it and God doesn't want that. I honestly think without being, you know, depressing, I think there is loss all around us. Um, it's funny, it sounds silly, but we're about to move in a few weeks from our house here in Madison Street to another house. And we're excited about it. But we're all carrying a certain sadness as a family, actually, because we love this little house. I'm going to cry. What's wrong with me? I don't know. I love this little house. I remember moving in here. Many of you helped us. We've made that garden look, well, it doesn't look great, but it looks a lot better than it did. Sorry. It, well, I, I worked as well on it. And, um, you know, we're right next to a bit of the park. that has been like a little secret part, bit of the park. And we could literally go to the park a couple of times a day. And 
I was just walking around it feeling really sad because it will be different. <laughs> and that's, that's true, you know? I'm sad as my kids get older and I have to explain racism to them. I don't want to do that. I don't want Poppy to get scared as I talk about these things. As we hear sirens every night and seriously big loud bangs happening in San Francisco every night and I'm trying to explain why this is happening. There's a loss and it's real. But this is, the, this is the truth. I think we can be very naive and we don't serve each other well when we're naive. Jesus wasn't naive. He calls us to be children of God, but that's not naive. The honest truth is Christianity never was designed to free us from pain. There are, of course, God heals us. I'm not saying he doesn't heal us, but it frees us to face pain. Perhaps more ultimately in this world, it does free us from pain, hallelujah. But it, in a way, I think the truest, the truest thing is it frees us to face pain, to see pain as here, but reframing pain somehow differently. You know, even Hollywood knows this. You know, have you guys seen the film Inside Out? If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a beautiful film and it's a, it's a kid's film, but it's, it's for everyone. And the, the, the big, you know, the, the spoiler alert is that sadness is saves the day. Okay. I'm sorry if I've just ruined it for you, but, and it's so beautifully true. God is in pain. <laughs> he is in pain. Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 4 says, I carry around in me his body of death. Death is at work in me. You see, if, if Jesus was a man of sorrows rather than a man of just smiles, and he was joyful, but he also was sorrowful yet, joy, yet rejoicing. If he was a man of sorrows, and as a Christian you're meant to become like him, listen, you are only half alive if you are only always positive and happy and pretending everything's fine. Isn't that incredible? You literally, if you're saying, I'm a Christ follower, I want to bear the image of not just God generally, but Christ. Let's be really specific. He is inviting you to feel the pain he feels. And that's not meant to freak us out, because as we'll see in a moment, there is incredible, incredible personality change or change to us that he wants to bring through this that can't come any other way but listen if g if this is a big part of who jesus was then you cannot ever mature into being someone who is genuinely holy without lament because it's a huge part of jesus it's a huge part of our god so first of all then Lament, or grieving and, and loss, embracing that is, is very important. Let me ask you this, this question, pause before we get to our final point, is what, where, do you tend to, where do you tend to go rather than embracing it? Do you tend to stuff it or do you tend to kind of scream about it and it kind of you know, becomes your big thing that you're the victim and it's all about that pain, which isn't the aim either? Maybe... Why, why are those things um, that perhaps hold you back from embracing it? What are those things? Is it sh the shame of those emotions or the slowing or just the fact that it can be scary or 
you know, you feel like you've brought the pain on yourself, just take five or ten seconds, even now, just to pause. What's the spirit saying to you? Hmm. Thank you, Lord. So grieving and, and loss is really embracing this. And I, I do just want to say this for the record. I recognize my life, which has had some real pain in it. I just want to honor some of you who are listening, who have gone through pain of which I, I cannot speak about. And I honor you for humbly listening to me and giving me a chance to try and talk on something that probably I don't really know entirely what I'm talking about. I know something of this path, but many of you have walked through ex excruciating pain and thank you for your humility. But I want to finish by saying, I think actually there are a few qualities that can only grow in the soil of lament. You want to be a certain person, right? That's why you're bothering to listen to me. You want to change. You want to be ultimately like Jesus. And I think there's at least eight things and I'll just spend literally one minute on, on each and you might want to write this down or just we can send it out in the email next week. Um, there's very specific things. Um, there's, he wants to make you a soulful person. Okay. Someone with soul, which is, I think, terribly um, in short supply in this world. And I think the church should be the world leader in being people of soul, not just spirit and optimism, but soul. Number one, then, um, lament does the first thing it does to us, or it can do to us, is this it gives us a greater capacity to wait. To wait on God, to surrender to His will, or put another way, to break fearful self will that tries to run the universe. Okay? First of all, it gives us the capacity to wait on God. It's a bit like, why does pain do that? It's a little, I, I don't entirely know. I, the image that comes to mind is when you, if you're in a car crash and you're like in the wreckage and you're in tremendous pain, they'll always say to you, don't move. And I think it's kind of like that. When you're in pain, often any kind of movement, fear, fear can get you to try and get you to move and be active and change things and make it all fixed and be positive. But actually, if you listen to the pain a little bit, it brings a holy stillness to you. It does to me anyway. I can, be in, I can run more on adrenaline than the Holy Spirit. It's extremely easy to do that. And, and embracing uh, even small loss in your life, if you listen to it, it kind of brings a still stillness to us. It can do. That is a gift of God. You just become someone able to wait and don't move. And uh, it's why actually fasting's incredibly important because when you fast, you're deliberately bringing some controlled pain into your life, which isn't an enemy. If you get into the habit of fasting, what it does is it gets you back into that place where you're not like big you, you know, proud and defensive you who can change everything. You're living again in that slightly quieter space of your soul where you're like, no, I am, I can do all things through him, but it's through him. It's not through me. And, and I need to really learn that. So first step, then it gives us a capacity to wait. Number two, it can make us less covetous. 
show of hands for anyone uh, who would like to covet things less. You know, I know I, oh my goodness, I can be so greedy. I can so easily always feel hard done by. It's so tragic. I'm sure some of you look at my life and think, Tom, you're crazy. How could you, you're such a blessed man, but I can fall into the trap of coveting stuff. And, I've, and I think there's a link between pain or, um, you know, grieving and loss and just being a little bit freer from coveting. It's again, if you think about it in the natural realm, when you're sick and in pain, you don't really want food. <laughs> you're not coveting the things you normally covet, right? And it's a weird kind of, there's a freedom that you get when you're in pain in the physical realm for those moments that you're sick that is kind of a good part of it. And I think when you start to see, oh, I'm not meant to like push through the pain. I'm not meant to like medicate the pain. I'm actually meant to like and get in touch with, embrace grieving and loss. It should make us less covetous and less... Um, you know, life just becomes more stripped of its, like, pretense and non-essentials. And man, that is a wonderful place to be when you start to taste that. Um, number three, you can live a bit more contentedly with mystery. And I say this hesitantly because, again, there is, there is mystery in this world. I mean, you know this, right? we don't have all the answers. It's okay. There is so much mystery in this world, even though we have Jesus and as, as Christians, we believe utterly in the Bible. It's not dishonoring of God to say there is incredible mystery. Why things happen. If we just give platitudinal answers that are like sound bites, it's not helpful. Um, there is profound mystery. And embracing grieving and loss helps us to have a little bit more contentment with that mystery, a little bit more. It's still very, very hard. I, I vividly remember um, a dear friend of mine called James in England. He was 20, and he had been married to his wife, um, Kerry, and she was 20. And within about six or seven months of their marriage, she died, and she, her heart just stopped. And he found her on the, on the, on the sofa and it was a, sh a deep, deep, deep tragedy. And I, it was one of the sweetest guys you'll ever meet. Oh, why is that so often the way? Um, and I remember just being with him and his dad, who was a sweet man, but he, 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 was, he, he was just stuck in the wrong mode of everything's positive. And he was terrified of entering into any kind of grief, which many Christians are. And he spiritualized it. He just was rushing to resurrection talk in the midst of this absolute horror. And poor James, um, yeah, I have to be careful. This is live, isn't it? Forgive me, Lord. Um, anyway, it was, it was very difficult. And uh, I remember just hugging him and uh, kind of getting in between the two people and just saying, this is awful. This is awful. This is not okay. This is not just, yeah, we know she's in a better place, but this is, this is awful. And, um, honestly, uh, giving him permission in the mystery, giving him permission 
to be in absolute raw anger and pain, I think, I think was, was needed. Um, number four, um, it leads to a greater humility. There is something about embracing grieving and loss, lamenting that leads to, to a greater humility and brokenness. Let me ask you this question. How patient are you with people who are inefficient? And I say inefficient, you know, I don't really mean, I mean people who in your, in your proud and defensive state, you can see as somewhat unimportant, e.g. kids, e.g. the elderly, e.g. those who have special needs. Anyone who in your mind or eyes could be somehow slightly um, inefficient, I know for me, if I'm in a place where there's not, I'm not in touch with that pain and that difficulty, I can become much more um, irritated by such people. And when I have some level of sorrow or lament in my heart, which is increasingly becoming all the time, which I think is right, I am more able, more able to turn away from that Tom and to become a bit better at slowing and in humility being close to those who are just as important as me who are made in the image of god and are not inferior to me i'm more able to see this to see that person actually as god does but it requires like the strong work of pain and grieving and loss to get me down from pumped up tom to slightly more humble jesus-like tom um, it, it does that to me, and I'm really grateful for that effect of lamenting and grieving and loss in my life. I'm more able to be with the, with the poor or those on the streets and to actually not judge them, but just to be with them and to even see that they have a gift for me. They have real gifts that I need from them, really. And I don't just mean that as like a fridge magnet thing. I actually mean it. Um, fifthly, um, I am safer to be around and i've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago it's, a, it's an incredible benefit that um people will feel safer around you if you're someone who carries pain lament um you know as a church we're called sanctuary church and a huge part of our vision is that certainly in san francisco most non-christians do not feel safe around christians that's why many have come to San Francisco. They've run from places where there are very moralistic, judging Christians who have a high self-opinion and judge those around them rather than love and compassionately explain the gospel that all of us, double underlined, all of us have fallen short and need God's grace. This place is filled with people like that. And that's why if we can, if we can get people to trust us, that is that and that'll take years but if we can do that they may just want to one day listen to something we have to say about this jesus so many people have have experienced horror at the hands of christians so many people have got legitimate reasons why they do not associate christianity with a good thing they associate it with abuse or with people who are using christianity to explain their sin and so we need to just gently compassionately understand that and realizing that 
when we are living in lament and pain, actually we become softer. Um, it softens us. It should soften us. It doesn't always. It can lead to hardness, but God wants it to soften us. And um, I remember being in a hotel room with a friend of mine who's a church leader, and I was all big and pumped up and running on adrenaline. And I remember sharing a room with him, and he was like, hey, how... He shared something about his pain, and I'll never forget how so foolishly and unsensitively I just tried to solve it all and talked about what we were doing as a church and all these things and solutions. And after about half an hour, he just sort of gently made his excuses and got up and left. <laughs> and he didn't feel safe to be around me. And I felt the Holy Spirit really convict me to say, Tom, you, you, that, that wasn't loving. You weren't mourning with him who was mourning. You know, it, it's strange, but as Christians, the more you're familiar with pain and your own struggles, the more the world will trust us. It's really true. I, I, I was so encouraged. Uh, one of the employees at a building that we use as a church said to us after one of our events, she, you know, she's not, I don't think a believer, part just, she said, we actually, you're a church we want to work with because we trust you because we trust you. And I literally almost, I just wanted to cry. I was like, thank you. So don't be afraid of those elements of your life where you feel um, tempted to be ashamed or that you're broken because it actually makes you a friend of sinners. <laughs> it, when we're all sinners, just so you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying we all struggle with it. It makes us a friend, people that can be friends with us. Jesus was very popular. I wonder if you're popular or I wonder if people, non-Christians don't want to be around you. <laughs> Jesus is really popular because he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't smug. He was so compassionate. Um, number six, we're liberated from the need to impress others. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Carl Jung said that the great movement of people is from persona to presence um which is which is true is he's using language to describe this shift from pretending we're someone and the more that you, you get older the more you realize what a trap that is and the gospel frees you to be um to be you know you can get rid of the fig leaves <laughs> you can be naked metaphorically before your father because he sees it all anyway and the more we can rest in that place, the more we really, truly don't need to impress others. And something about grieving and loss keeps us in that place. Almost there, number seven, um, fewer fears and more willing to take a risk. That's so true. One of the reasons we don't take risks is if we are trying to protect this glittering image of ourselves you, you don't you we won't take risks because if we fail then we'll have the horrifying reality of our humanity <laughs> and we're not in control and you know failure is inevitable for all of us at some point but when you are living in a place of ongoing some level of awareness of your grief and your loss and that you can't stop it you can't stop your aging i'm sorry everyone you are getting older and if you've got kids, they will one day. Hey, everyone. I think uh, Tom uh, dropped off, so we'll <laughs> do our best to get, get him back on. Ah, I'm back. It's just, it's, I'm doing this every week now. It's like a dramatic moment. It's all, it's all planned just to leave you hanging. Where was I? Can someone tell me where I got to before? 
the waffleometer kicked in. I don't, We're on I number seven. Right. Yeah, number seven. Fewer free. Take a risk. Yeah, we don't take risks because we're afraid to see our humanity. Great, thanks, guys. So I think, for example, just personally, for us moving from England and then moving again to San Francisco, it was amazing how I think when I looked to my soul, um, I felt a new level of freedom that I wasn't grasping it. I knew it was right to do it, but I knew that it wouldn't lead to less pain. If the church grows and we see the lost saved and it's successful, it will actually lead to more pain <laughs> because, because, you know, life is filled with that. And I was like, well, Lord, we can give, I think you're saying this, but the great thing is I know I have you. So I have everything now. I can actually know real contempt. I literally have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in my life. So I don't need, I really don't need much else, if anything else. So I'll try this and Lord, I'll try and be obedient. But the great thing is if it doesn't work, I can't lose. I just get to have a quiet life. And that's biblical as well. The Bible says, you know, pray for quiet life. So I'm like, I don't want a big, like, I'm not that big, like, risky taking guy. You know, I feel like a Gideon or a Moses. Like, give me my armchair and a cup of coffee and my Bible. And, you know, and, I'm, and, and, and it frees you. It's like, I feel freer to take risks because those risks only feel like risks when my ego is still alive and well. And it still is. I'm not denying that, of course, but it's, it's getting less. And then finally, this is beautiful, there is um, an appreciation of the sacredness that can come through grieving and loss. It's, it's, it, I'm sure you've noticed this. It's why it says in the Bible, it's better to go in the house of mourning than the house of rejoicing. That says that in Proverbs. And there's something about, even amidst the awful pain, for example, I remember a few weeks ago, two d distant but still real friends of mine both two women died one was 40 um she had three small kids and another a lady died women died she was 33 both from cancer very quick and they were gone and um it's awful but there was amidst the trauma there was this little bit of gold which was i felt like i was living my days a little differently you know, as I smelt my kid's hair and I drank my cup of coffee and I looked out of my window and saw San Francisco and, the, you know, suddenly I was able to access the utter, utter wealth of blessings that this, this life is. Even when there are horrors around us, it is true that there is a sacredness to all of life that our hard hearts um, can rob us of experiencing. So there you go. There's eight extraordinary um, elements of our character that God, I can, I would say, can only bring in. Those things, you know, waiting on God, less covetous, more content with mystery, more humility, safer to be around, liberated from the need to impress, fewer fears willing to take risks and an appreciation appreciation of the sacredness of life these i think are true and are, are good gifts that god wants us to take hold of um 
when we start to see grieving and loss in our life, not just in the dramatic, obvious times, but more and more as a part of normal life. Because Jesus is with us. He's with us and he's not scared. He's not shocked. He is a firm captain of, the, of, of, this, of this vessel and he leads us on. So friends, what we're going to do now, um, we're going to have a few moments silence. Silence is a beautiful thing. And then I would love you just to, some of you, we won't, I'm sure all of you won't do this. I'd, I, I want you just to unmute and just to pray. And we haven't done that. Um, we tend to finish with a song. But I, I, we're not going to finish with a song today. We're going to just allow um, the kind of bittersweet atmosphere that I hope I've, by the Spirit's power, um, led us to taste a little bit and not to just feel like we've got to pump it up again. That's okay. Let's just let it be part of who you are for a few moments and add some weight and some gravity to our souls. Um, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So I'm going to leave like 10, 10, maybe 30 seconds silence. And then, you know, once, once that's, that, that's happened, can, we're just going to see what happens. You can just pray as you feel led. You can pray for stuff that's happening nationally if you want or in, where you are, or you can pray personal things. But I want to just give some space and don't worry if you unmute and then someone else unmutes and, hey, don't worry about that. Mess is fine. Just wait and then jump in afterwards. But I think we are a family and I, I so appreciate you listening to me talk for half an hour. But I'd love it if lots of voices were in the room um, over the next few minutes. Okay, let's have a few moments of silence and then we'll just have some time of open prayer off the back of it. <laughs> 